Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this is Andor Candor, which is our exclusive series all about Andor. Every single week, we'll be here on the podcast talking about the newest episodes uh, by ourselves or with guests. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, stick around for more. It's going to be a fun journey this season. Uh, we're talking about three episodes today. Good stuff. Sarah, Andor's out in the world. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm so happy that these episodes are out in the world so that we can all enjoy them and talk about them and stand the time grappler together oh, as yeah. a fandom. Uh, but if this is the first Andor Candor episode you're listening to, make sure to hit pause. Right, wait, right now, but not right now. Give me 20 seconds and then right now. Um, because we had the opportunity to go to the launch event at Ho in Hollywood at the El Capitan Theater. And we did a whole episode about our experience there, our initial reactions, uh, non-spoiler to the show. Uh, and if you want even more and or goodness, I recommend that episode. And then we can jump into the spoilers, which we're going to do right now. Okay, if you need to go over there, you can pause now. <laughs> yeah, that is our like non-spoiler <laughs> review. So um, we're not going to be really doing a non-spoiler thing up front today because we've already done that per se. Um, and we're just going to really be jumping into it. It's good. Uh, so good. Sarah, I, uh, you and I had decided after we saw the first three episodes at the El Capitan, we were going to wait till it dropped, rewatch all the episodes again, and then record. Because one, I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't remember anything. Like half the stuff I watched today, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Because I was just like blacking out the whole time that I was watching it. Because I was like, holy, I'm still recovering from seeing Diego Luna and Kathleen Kennedy in the same space. Uh, so that yeah, was, that was a lot to handle. So we watched it, watched it with subtitles. I picked up a couple of things and it is pockets are fomenting, not fermenting yeah, we, for we the record. This. Come on. No, you know, we knew this. We knew this. If you turned your captions on on the trailer. Yes. I turned did my captions know? on on the... Yes. Okay. Maybe I you turned did. on the trailer I was, captions. I was still skeptical. I'm a skeptic. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's fermenting. Pockets can I, ferment too. Because I, I even went and Googled <laughs> the word foment. It was a yeah. whole thing. We had a conversation I about know. this. We did. You just like, on the podcast too. There's a record of it. And you just had forgot. On the this editor, is the point actually. we do the podcast. <laughs> so then Brad can remember the conversations <laughs> we have. Otherwise, woof. <laughs> regardless of fermenting uh fomenting you know what is fermenting today is a wonderful conversation because we're going to talk about all three episodes and i'm so excited uh, i genuinely lots of, lots have of juicy stuff no idea if that was the correct use of the word fermenting and i'm not entirely sure that it was but we're just gonna roll sure. with it as yeah. if it was <laughs> i know i'm really really trying here um, because i because i googled fomenting but i didn't google fermenting yeah. <laughs> fermenting uh it's to uh, incite or to stir up so yeah, that, we're gonna, that works. We're going to stir up a conversation about the episode. Okay, that works. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Bring Why it not? on. Bring it on. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Okay, Sarah, um, from like a spoiler perspective, yeah. how did you feel about the first three episodes, getting three episodes like versus two in retrospect? Like what's going through your mind now that you've seen Andor twice? I think firstly, like um, as much as I was kind of disappointed about the date change, I was so ready to have an Andor August. And yet, um, I think that waiting for all three episodes was absolutely the right choice. You really need all three to get the big picture of the beginning of the story and to like understand where we're starting and where we're heading. So I think that was definitely the right choice. Um, 
And I'm really glad we watched it again before we like had a spoiler reaction conversation about it because I was positive about it after watching it the first time. But I think I was also just like stunned into silence in a lot of ways. I mean, like we absolutely (laughs) just stood outside the theater after seeing it and going like, what do we do now? Like, um, but I feel even more favorably about it after watching it again and kind of really thinking about the pieces of this story. Um, so I feel really good about it and I am looking forward to kind of like getting in the nitty gritty of some of these things. And I don't even think we'll be able to have a good conversation about some of these things until the season is over. And we're like, ah, yeah, that's what they were looking to do because there's, there's (laughs) such complexities to, um, the systems, uh, politics that they've created already in these first three episodes that don't even have to do directly with politics uh because i know we're getting a mon mothma episode i think coming up next week oh yes episode um, four yeah so i don't know i don't know i feel good about it i'm glad we're talking about it now is the too long didn't listen version of that comment how about you yeah uh we said it on our non-spoiler episode and i i really do think that andor is the microscopic look at star wars that we've always needed this is a story about everyday people who are just kind of living their everyday lives. Like we're literally just plopped into Ferrex and plopped yeah. into plopped into the idea of the, uh, what are they called? The organization that, uh, the pre-more security inspection team, like what they're doing on Preox Morlana. So many things going on, like such a new world to understand. Like we haven't really got a good understanding of like what the mid rim looks like during the age of the empire. Right. It's always been very, centered around like uh planets like Gavin and Scarif and stuff and Rebels, which I think are more on the outer rim and inner rim. So it's fascinating to get this like new look at the galaxy and also have like characters at the heart of it. Like this these first three episodes are like very Cassian focused, like where he's been and where he's going. I think the juxtaposition of his past and present worked really well. And it especially is like a huge gut punch at the end of episode three when we see him once again, leaving the only home he's ever known. Mm-hmm. And the time that he's leaving Ferrix is by his choice and his choice alone, right? Because the first time he leaves Kanari, uh, uh, it's not really by his choice. Marva takes him, right? Um, and so getting that emotional punch at the end, I think really bought me in. And I, I wanted to rewatch it all because I, you know, I cried at the end of the third episode in the theater. Guys, and I was like, am I just overcome with emotions? Cried sobbing sobbing my like, eyes that's, out that's not a, that's not a dick like that's that's not me like saying that in a derogatory manner but like you were like really just really touched by that those last 10 minutes like really emotional about it and i was and i don't think i was as as dramatically like i i i've been like delightfully uh i've been delighted by by the ways that people have reacted so emotionally to the end of that because i totally get it um but yeah seeing like sitting next to you and like seeing you experience that in real time was like very interesting in a, in a positive way, not like in a bad way. I'm trying, I yeah. don't feel like I'm doing a good job of explaining that. But. No, 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 you're good. You're good. And I, I wanted to see like, would I have that same reaction at home? I'm like, Tony Gilroy, you're not going to get me now. And lo behold, I'm in my basement watching this, crying my eyes out again. And I'm like, God damn it. And I'm like turning up the volume so I can get the full range of the music and Nicholas Bertel's score in my ear holes. Like, cause the music there is like as much of a character as Cassian and Marva is when we see when we see their past and present together and I don't know maybe it's because I moved a lot growing up and so seeing Cassian sort of displaced and having to leave home somehow resonated with me and also we know that like him leaving 
Ferrix is like the beginning of this journey that is going to eventually end on Scarif. Like for him, I don't think he'll come right. back to Ferrix, to be honest with you. I don't think he'll be back. Mm. I think this is his last time leaving. Maybe he sees Marva again. I could be wrong, but like it really felt like this was a, this is the beginning of the journey that's going to end with his sacrifice. So buckle up because, and, and I, I think that also is causing the emotions of like knowing what was about to come for him as a character. Sure, sure. Because you know it doesn't end exactly happily for him. He doesn't live a mm-hmm. long and full life, um, but he certainly lives one with of meaning. So yeah, no, those, those last 10 minutes are brutal. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Cassian for a little bit and sort of like what no. propels him? No, we're not no. going to talk about Andor at all. Cassian Andor Actually, on no. the Andor Candor. Okay. Yeah. Well, everybody, um, thank you for tuning in. No, 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 um, no. Don't, don't turn people away. <laughs> this is the Time Grapplers episode. We're talking about the Time Grappler. Whoa. We love, Hot take. We love a confident king. We love somebody who is, you know, um, really good at his job, um, you know, provides an essential function for his town um, and makes some great music in the process. <laughs> I will say every every chicken across the world that wakes up any farmer should be replaced by a time with grappler a, with i'm, a time I'm telling you there's You're an entire right. like untapped job market there like how many time grapplers could we use in the world a lot probably honestly we will talk more about the time grappler later yeah. because i have <laughs> i have so much to say about this character who does not say a thing um I, yeah okay go ahead let's talk about cassian <laughs> sarah stop talking <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about like when we first meet Cassian in the show, because I think it's really interesting compared to how we first meet him in Rogue One. Um, By the way, like the intro for this show is so damn good. Like the devastating like music, like it's, it's sort of like a somber theme, but it also gets kind of inspirational towards the end. Yeah. But the rebellion logo flips. Aggressive Blade Runner vibes. Yeah. Also the aggressive drums, like the drum solo that's just in there, just going hard as hard as hell. I love it. I love it. Um, But when we open episode one, we see Cassian like in a rush. He's going to the bar trying to find out information on his sister. Um, And then he leaves and he's confronted by these pre-more soldiers or these security officers. And he ends up killing one accidentally. And that sort of leaves him with the choice to kill the other. And like in Rogue One, we are presented with a Cassian who kills his best friend, one of his close friends, in an order to escape the situation that he's in. So it's like both these times that we meet Cassian, he's he's making the choice to kill. Um, I think like in this instance, he seems very hesitant at first. He seems like it's not something he wanted to get himself into, but he sort of was left with no choice. Whereas in Rogue One, he feels like calm and like sure in the way that he kills Tivik. Mm-hmm. so it's just it was just interesting i don't really know like what it says about his character but i think it just maybe says that he's about to go through some stuff that makes him hardened and makes it easier to make those choices and like without any hesitation yeah i i think that's definitely a fair assessment to make like this is not a ch- you can tell it's not a choice he wants to make uh and he's a little alarmed or not a little he is alarmed when he finds out that the first um corporate person is is dead uh just because of their short fight um and so it's never a decision he wanted to make, but it's one he had to make for his own survival. And it's one that kind of propels him on this journey. Um, and, and and it makes you wonder because of how he hesitated, like, has he killed before? What has his life been like, you know, from the time that he was 10 or so, whatever, in the show? 
I know we've been talking about fights at six years old, but that's not a six year old boy. Like, um, like that's like a 10 or 12 year old, but like, you know, from, from the Casa that we see to Cassian now has, has he been living a peaceful life or has he been putting himself in risky situations in his own ways? Um, and I mean, that's something we might not find out necessarily in that series, the series and that's okay, but it does make you wonder whether he's had to kill like this before. And I think the rest of the episode, he's sort of living with those consequences, um, which is why I think this is the first time he has killed. Because he, he has yeah, a prison a record or like a jail record of before, I believe, because like Cyril is pulling up his old records. So he's in the he's been in the system before, which I think we will see in that sort of like mm. THX 1138-esque footage that we've seen in trailers. Ooh, I think that's think maybe like his prison breakout. Yeah, I think that's like a prison breakout. Um, oh. Which would be interesting. Okay. Yeah, because we know he has an imperial record of sorts. But yeah. Can we talk about the setting a little bit? Yeah, you're talking about uh, Morlana, Morlana 1. Yeah. Yeah. So we get those aggressive Blade Runner vibes that he's walking into. Um, and then he's like walking down this, you know, kind of grimy street where we've got very much like red light district, people in the windows situation. And then he walks into a brothel. Like, this is not just a bar, my friend. This is a brothel. I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw him walk down that street and go into the brothel and you just hear that club music playing, I was like, this is not Star Wars. I was like, this is so different. And I love it. I was like, this is it. I'm in. I'm in. Like, it took me like not even two minutes to be bought into the show. It's jarring and not necessarily in a bad way, but it's not it's not what you'd expect. That's for sure. You know, like it's maybe something you would expect in like The Expanse or um even even variations on track, right? Like this this sort of world aesthetic, um, but not not in Star Wars. Uh, and it was really it was really interesting to kind of walk into this space and kind of immediately understand the context of the space. Um, and also the woman who he talks to, she looks like three other actresses. <laughs> Are, am i wrong she looks like the one girl from sex education who also looks like margot robbie um i'm not wrong about this guys i can't be the only one who <laughs> I, saw I, I feel like she looked like somebody but i i couldn't place my finger on that it. is who um, that is who you're thinking of it's like that yeah. the one girl from sex education and margot robbie because they look fairly similar <laughs> anyway she's not either of these people to be clear yeah I will say too, like in terms of the sort of underworld Blade Runner vibe, I mean, we have gotten bits of that with like the underbelly of Coruscant and Attack of the Clones, like sort of the neon landscape and like the dark gambling kind of bar scene. Um, we get yeah. a little bit of that too, I think, in The Rise of Skywalker. Like this exactly. actually reminded me a bit of Kajimi, like with yeah, the, totally. you know, the, the, the speakeasy that John Williams is bartending at and Iconic. Um, that sort of crowd. So that's that that's what i immediately picked up on there but yeah it's really fascinating um i can't wait to learn more about this world and like sort of where its place is within the empire that's like another thing too that i think i'm trying to get a grapple on is like what the yeah totally looks like in the series because we know that like Premore is like this sort of a uh, hub of the empire this like first line of defense um i believe at one point Linus Moss, who's one of the other officers, uh, refers to it as like corporate tactical forces, like being the first line of defense and that they sort of fit into that scheme. And then like Ferrix is within their, their sort of area that they jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah, Jurisdiction. So 
that's all fascinating. And I'm excited to like peel back those layers a little bit and um, see like once the Empire does get involved, like does the hammer come down? Can Cyril Karn like not complete the mission that he was supposed to? And now there's like this rebel spy potentially who's going to be created out of it. You know, like a fulcrum agent because Andor got him. <laughs> I love how we see this pathetic man who is so uptight about this one particular problem. And we're like, redemption arc. <laughs> um but yeah yeah it's it's very interesting and that's what i'm talking about in saying like up top when i was like yeah i don't know if i will really have a thoughtful conversation about some of these politics and some of the way that this all works until the series is over and we kind of have a better picture of the world that he's painting because we're talking to uh charlene caitlin of the sky talkers and she's like took us a minute to figure it out and so basically the empire's at the top and then these guys are in the middle and then Varix is kind of at the bottom. They're kind of hands off and nobody wants the other person to like encroach on their, their day to day. And everybody's going to start doing that. I was like, genius. I didn't even pick yeah. up on that. I didn't even realize that, that like the, that Cyril, you know, like in the trailers and stuff, I recognize that they're wearing different uniforms, but like, I didn't even realize that they were not specifically empire. Mm-hmm. so this is all very new to me and it's it's interesting too it's a, a very it's a very intentional choice to not show any imperial logos until i believe uh in the middle of the second episode or towards the end oh. when cassian unwraps the device he's going to bring to luthan and he like kind of turns it over in his hands and we finally see the right the empire's logo and that's the first time in the series um, which i love i like them kind of keeping those curtains closed until like the right moment and then it sort of all clicks in the place and you go, oh, okay, there, there are larger things that are happening. Cassian is involved. And the whole funny thing about this all is, right, like Cyril's inability to let this go and like his fear that he has, like the worst thing you could do is doing nothing at all sort of attitude might get him into more trouble than he realized because it's going to put eyes on him, eyes on Cassian and eyes on like, how did Cassian get this device that was according to Luthan rail, you know, sealed in these, uh, in these vaults somewhere. Um, so like, how, how did he get those? Um, specifically they're the, uh, what is it here? The Imperial Naval, Naval base on steer guard, which I was like, Ooh, steer I like guard. that. Great name. Um, cool. you know, I, what I just, I just had in my head here and maybe a small portion of our audience will get this, but like, uh, Cyril Karn is Javert. And Cassian Andor is Valjean. Uh, and this is Les Miserables. <laughs> um, uh, but seriously, seriously though, because like Javert in Les Miserables is just like single-mindedly on this quest to continue to punish um, Valjean because he believes that's what's right and just. And like, that's what he has to do with an officer of law. And, and, and like, I mean, Valjean stole a loaf of bread. Cassian Andor did kill two men, but like that's beside the point a little bit. Like he, he, this, this antagonist is on a very narrow minded quest, um, over time. And, and I find that to be very interesting. Um, it's like touch grass, Sarogarn, you know, (laughs) I, I am like always pro redemption in star Wars. I think I can say the same for you. Um, the moment that, Cyril and Cassian had that moment in episode three where the blaster comes and you you see like Cassian's uh you see his like blaster kind of like click apart when he like cocks it I love how that looked by the way like such a small detail his blaster is so cool 
Um, but the way he's like, put down the weapon, give me your comedy stomps on. I was like, oh, these guys are going toe to toe for the rest of the series. And it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna end in a partnership. Like I, I do Ooh. think Cyril Karn will become a fulcrum agent at some point. Like I, I think these two are going to be helping each other out. Um, um, I think he's going to really start to have these hard pills to swallow once the Imperial, uh, leadership encroaches on his territory and like kind of shows him who's actually boss and he's gonna be like oh shit I don't belong here so we'll see I that's I keep going back and forth on that because like on the one hand I'm I'm very much redeem everybody like I don't care it's fiction like um everybody everybody you know if, if we can if we can uh imagine acts of redemption for the worst people in our fiction like you know I think it gives us a broader imagination to forgive one another but like you know that's beside the point but like redeem everybody um they're giving they're giving ang and zuko vibes like zuko <laughs> cannot catch zuko cannot catch ang he always gets away and right, like here it is Val like John, Cyril, Javert, zuko yeah. ang great these like, are great cyril Kron's like oh i got andor we got him guys like hurrah and he freaking zips out on a speeder right behind him and like the look on his face and getting to see oh, how he reacts to that for so long like the close-up on him like we sit with him in that moment yeah. and we get to really see what how the gears are turning in his mind like he is like not doing good at the end of the episode right and i go back and forth on whether i think he's going to be redeemed like either he's going to hit a breaking point with the empire and be like wait wtf why are we what are we here for what is the point uh, this is this is not helping anybody. Or he's gonna dig in his heels so much it ends in his death, which mm -hmm. is perhaps like the more likely outcome. But like he's gonna dig in his heels. He's gonna be like, uh, you know, this is my life's work. My life's mission is to catch a single man. And um, I go back and forth and back and forth on what's gonna happen in the story to him because I and, and, and he's he's pretty pathetic. Um. To be, let's be yes. really clear right now. He's really <laughs> pathetic. And while he was giving his motivational speech, people in the audience were laughing. It was great. Yes. It was very oh funny. Um, he's we kind of a comedy king. Of laughter. Um, he's kind of a comedy king when his boss at uh, Primor is like, "What did you do to your uniform?" And he's like, um, "Piping, pockets, a little bit of tailoring." <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh my god i'm like he's pathetic i love him um he's such a yeah, loser he's, he's such a loser and um i think we're talking so much about him uh and i know we're not the only ones because of kyle solar's performance and like let's talk about the actor here he is really really giving this character so many layers and such specificity in his portrayal I, you can see the different emotions in his eyes. You know, some people's eyes, you really can't see behind them. That is a man whose eyes you can see way behind all the way to the mm -hmm. back of the skull. Like, holy moly, yeah. the end of the end of episode three, as you were just mentioning, that man has never experienced more devastation than in that moment. Yeah. Speeder blows up. You hear like people wailing and pain in the background and all he can do, like his, uh, Linus Mosk is just shaking him. He's like, soldier, like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. He literally yanks his collar to get to get him to move, right? Um, Kyle Solar's performance, I, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I feel this just, like, gravitational pull towards the character because of right. that. Like, I'm just, like, I recognize, like, 
he is playing it to such a like fine specificity that like I, I almost like can't describe it. It's just this like do-gooder, brown noser, um, try harder, like sort of guy who like his posture is great, his 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 uh, stuff is very tailored. He's like, incredibly he's like, clean no, shaven. Yeah. We gotta figure this out. Like I I am by the books and he's trying to lead this group of people and nobody clearly respects him because every order he gives, he gets some sort of pushback from his, right. his direct reports. Right. And, and nobody, no, nobody takes looks up their to job as seriously as he does. Right. He is so uptight about it. It's really incredible to watch. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, like everybody around him is sort of like the bare minimum worker. They're like, listen, dude, I'm getting paid minimum wage. I'm just showing up here for work so I can go home and live my life. And he's like, no, I want the extra credit. Like I want the promotion. It's not even that. It's more like I read the handbook twice over and I follow every rule to the T. And like, if you, somebody who's working at the same level as me are breaking a rule, I am going to tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of like that guy, you know, (laughs) where sometimes it's like, okay, the handbook like doesn't really matter. You kind of just learn and you go, but he's like, I don't, I don't give a shit if the, if, if the handbook doesn't matter, like you wrote it. You know, like that's he's like that's the, the guy who would off. recite the exact passage number and exact sentence right. of like a rule. Yeah, this is a citation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, obsessed with this pathetic, pathetic man. Um, <laughs> Kyle, and Kyle I, said is somebody that you're gonna love to hate, which is so accurate. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm really curious to see which path his character goes and how much more we see of him throughout the season, um, because he's just very. It's hard to take your eyes off of him. Diego Luna, very handsome, a great actor. We love him. <laughs> we love Rogue One. You know, Stellan Skarsgård, an icon all by himself. Like, amazing. You know, Adria Arjona is just kind of electric to watch. And yet, I find myself watching this pathetic bad guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and I, and I recognize, I recognize that this is like uh, a pro Raylo podcast. Uh, we really enjoy our Kylo Ren. He's also a little bit pathetic. Um, so this is not exactly like off brand for us. We love Elzar Man, also pathetic, but a good he's guy. A, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's um, just pathetic. <laughs> right. I love him. Um, so this is not <laughs> off brand for us, but I just found his performance to be really standout in these three episodes. And I think we should definitely acknowledge that. Like he's really doing the most here. And I think he's also given the most scream time to do the most, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so we were just I'm just so fascinated to to better understand where he's going. Um and and since we're talking about them, I would I would like a couple um I would like to just share a great line from this one, which is like we have one suspect. How many men should we bring? And Linus Moss is like <laughs> about 12, sir. Like <laughs> Oh, and boy. I just felt like I really needed to say that out loud. Um, just just to be that. prudent, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, this this show definitely has some subtle jabs at the at the need for our society to uh, over militarize uh, civilian situations. Mm. Um, they're like, mm. oh, it's one guy. I love how they're like, you know, they're on Ferrix and they're like. They see the explosion from the one guy who goes up in the ship and one of the workers attaches yeah. the thing to it and he like blows up and then we go back to Linus Mosque and he's like, oh my God, they're behind us. We're surrounded. They're everywhere. And it like goes back to Cassian and, and Luthen and they're just like 
in a garage and they're just like, where are we? <laughs> right. Like, like all right. these guys think they're like really armed, really dangerous. They got explosives. They're like, oh guys, we got to get them. And they're just two clueless guys who are like, I don't, where's the speeder? Where do we go? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it is the uh, us versus them and the excessive force um, of it all. You know. Yeah, no. Right. And even too, like the situation with Timon, um, when he comes down the stairs and he sees, he sees Bix in a, in a, in trouble bleeding. Right. And they, they shoot on sight. He's, he's not armed at all. Um, he's just concerned for, for Bix and he gets shot, which, you know, um, one would say like, you know, mess around and find out. Let's, I don't. Let's be very, very clear about his motivations. He was jealous. Yeah. There's that. That Cassian. <laughs> That, that he felt like he didn't have full in, ownership, maybe not be the right word, but full attentions of Bix. And he was, he mm-hmm. knew something and he snitched. A little bit of toxic masculinity, if you ask me. A whole sure. lot of toxic masculinity. Uh, sure. Bix, yeah. Bix seems to be somebody who can handle herself. And Cassian and, and Tim, they are both grown men who can handle themselves. If this is the arrangement that they had, you know, all independently figured out, then by all means, go for it, go for it. But no, no, no. Tim had to be a jealous little bitch. I do have a problem with this actually. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally have a problem with him as well. Um, I think just in, in like the scope of like the, the police and like, Oh, that I mean, sort no, of scope, I, I'm not saying he very... deserved to die. He, I don't, I don't, I'm not somebody who thinks that oh, way, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but, but like, yeah, he, he I, kind I of just want to be consequences clear. of like what his, his behaviors and his thought processes led to. Right. And it's sure. unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It led him there. Um, but also, yeah, he's a little bit of a bitch. A lot of, a I bitch. just, I am not a Tim. I am not a Tim two M's fan. I am not. <laughs> it gives me bad vibes. And I felt sad for Bix when he died, but not only did he betray Cassian, he betrayed her and her trust. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then he like slept with her. I. Yeah. The whole situation is just terrible. And I think too, Tim like is, her Tim emotions when, when he dies is not only her losing somebody that she's deeply cared about, but also like a huge sense of um, betrayal of like, look what your betrayal of our trust and of all of that has caused. You know, like you broke the trust. Like you're one of the only people I've told about Cassian being from Canari, and you you broke that trust. I trusted yeah. you, and I feel foolish. I feel the bad because now Cassian is threatened, right? And we sort of see that at the end of the third episode. Like we see how all these lives have been affected by that decision to rat out on Cassian, right? Like Marva. Um, we see. Uh, I think I believe his name is uh, Brasso, who is like his his worker friend. Um, yeah. we get close-ups of them. We get close-ups of, of Bix. Um, I think that's sort of the tragedy of these first three episodes is like this way of life is disrupted for everybody. And so it's like, where yeah. do they move forward? And like, what choices do they make in order to keep surviving and, um, and to keep looking out for one another? So yeah, so what is Star Wars without its tragedy, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to make uh, one note before we sort of talk about like Ferrix as a community, because I think it's a really interesting one that you and I have talked about. Um, I want to talk about like the cinematography of the show and sort of like the prestige cinematic feel for it. And I think that's best exhibited during the scene um, before Cassian kills those two officers. 
right when he leaves the bar, we get this like really close up shot of him just like walking towards the camera. And it took me until today, like taking out the emotions of the premiere and everything to realize like it was one continuous take from the moment he is walking up until the moment that the guards take off his his hood. Mm. So it's about two minutes of like uninterrupted close up on Diego Luna's face, getting to see him act, getting to see him react to what they're saying and what they say they want to do to him and how how many credits they want from him. And like, oh, it's the perfect amount for you to get out of that fine. Right. And you see all these different realizations dawning on him in terms of like what he's going to have to do to get out of the situation and like, oh crap, I actually got caught here in this moment. Like, what am I supposed to do? But I think it's like a little bit of a, uh, a way of how the show is trying to be bold in its filmmaking and the way that it shows things on the screen. Especially considering Mandalorian is about a guy who wears a mask and is not allowed, therefore, to emote with his face. Yes. I also just think that um, a really kind of vital part of the cinematography route, and we're going to talk about Ferrex here in a second, is just, um, you know, the color and the scope of it all um, and, and what, the, what, what the creatives are choosing to highlight as important. And, and they're choosing to highlight a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, like mundane ideas and mundane things presented in a beautiful manner, which really kind of uh, makes the world feel all that much richer. Um, and I think that's what I really get from, you know, the cinematography on top of, you know, the choice to kind of do this long tracking shot um, in addition to, uh, you know, kind of follow these characters in, in different ways throughout this space. We are just kind of getting the space in a different way in itself. Um, which is which is great. And I will say like long tracking shots, like they're not like, you know, groundbreaking, but I I, I always respect things shows that do that because I, f- I feel like it really like invests me in the moment and like I can't take my eyes off sure. the screen because I, I want to read every piece of what's happening. Right. But yeah, totally. Like with the way that Eric's is shot. And I think that's really exhibited at the beginning of episode two, once the time grappler comes into the picture. The time and- grappler. We, we get the sounds of the time grappler alongside these shots of the everyday folk closing down for the night, right? That those two kids or the two guys like closing down the shop where Bix called for Luthen. And um, we see the junkyard guy closing down with his, his two uh, hounds, right? So we get all these kind of moments to show just everyday life. And like you said, like more mundane, but I think it makes the world feel richer. It makes it have more personality than just like not including a small moment like that. And I think that's where like the pace of the show is really well done. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit slower, more deliberate, and it gives us time to understand these places that we're in. Yeah. And I think that the way that the time grappler is shot where we're kind of following him up the stairs and then we're seeing him from an upward angle to where we can recognize that he's in a tower of sorts and looking down along the city is really interesting too. Because it sets up this world as like super populated and it sets up like this guy as doing something really essential. I could talk more about the time grappler, but I will let you stop me if you want to. No, we can. Let's talk about it here while, while we're on it. I, I will say like the first time he showed up, you could get this sort of rustling sense of everybody in the theater like, oh, my God. Can you would you like to share my reaction? I think you, I, and Tori Fox all had, like put our fists in the air. Like we were yeah, ready. No, I had like my fists up. I was like leaning forward and under my mask, I was just like, yes. 
<laughs> if it would have been socially acceptable to scream and yell, I would have. Like, that's my Super right. Bowl. Like, I, I love that guy. <laughs> I was so fascinated by him from the moment that trailer dropped. Go back and listen to those reactions, because truly. Um, but like, oh my God, the thrill, the thrill I got upon um, uh, watching that scene unfold uh, in, in, with, among other people, and with Nicholas Bertel in the audience. Let's be real clear here. The time grappler, <laughs> that that instrument, right? Like we can we can assume that it looks like it's made with Baskar. To be really honest with you, at least his mallets. Yeah, um, it kind of does. Uh, but like, can we talk about? Can we take this opportunity to talk about the music? Yeah, we have please. no direction here. Can we just do talk about the music? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because because um, the way. Oh my God, you guys. So when you, when you kind of think about film, right, there's music or there are music and sounds that exist, um, within the scene and the world that we're in. And there are music and sounds that exist outside of the scene and the world that we're in. For instance, like the diegetic sounds of, uh, the blasters firing and the wind rustling or the, like the, you know, us walking on grass as we walk through the scene versus like John Williams score of it all, which exists for the audience, but not for the characters. This scene does one of like my favorite things in the world is where we mix the what is typically, you know, the diegetic sounds with the uh, time grappler, you know, telling the time with his instrument with the music as they like very seamlessly blend. As you were talking about earlier, as we get those mini scenes of people moving throughout, shutting down um, their days and kind of moving on with their evenings, it goes directly into this beautiful, like ethereal uh atmospheric music and i lost my freaking mind i was like this is it this is capital c cinema um <laughs> it really like nothing makes me happier when you kind of see something that's a little off the beaten path happen in a story like that where these sounds come together what the audience is hearing and what the characters are hearing becomes the same thing um and i loved that and it happens a little bit again in the morning when we kind of get the morning time grappler grappling um but also just like the music throughout it is off the charts insane i am obsessed give me the soundtracks now we're hearing drums oh my god not just drums like a drum kit like somebody sitting down at the drum kit you know like going hard on the drums like we have never heard that before i remember end of episode two you and i were like oh Oh, we're kind of like bumping our heads. We're like, okay, 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 and they like let the music play out simultaneously. A WTF and like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, (laughs) we were were, vibing actually, bobbing our heads. Yeah, we were we were in the club on a Thursday for sure. Um, (laughs) But like Nicholas Bertel is bringing such a, a new taste to the star wars soundscape and i'll be curious to see like once we get into more of the rebellion like do we hear some of those more classical star Mm. wars themes and does he still blend those together with his specific style of music right but i love where it is so far i love what we're getting i cannot wait to listen back to um the score and especially again like the end of episode three i think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of star wars music i've heard um it's so good like just from a uh, um, a thematic standpoint, a visual standpoint, it all blends together so perfectly because of that music and because of the way that the camera moves and the camera moves away from our characters and up close to our characters and behind our characters and in front of our characters. It's just like, it's just so perfectly done. So hats off to Nicholas Bertel. My God, like what a grab for the show. Right. Oh, and, so good. and 
If you want to go back to listen to some like beautiful Nicholas Bertel music, uh, nothing sings more beautifully and more clearly than Agape from If Beale Street Could Talk, directed by Barry Jenkins. If you watch that, um, if you listen to that piece with the accompanying scene, I think uh, that is just an excellent taste of the the kind of work that he does. Because it, again, it's one of those moments where the music is non-diegetic, but you just feel it for this character as you're staring right into their eyes and just like understanding the warmth of the piece. And I really think we, you know, get that at the end of episode three is like the warmth of the story. And there's also heartbreak in it with Marva, but like emotionality to like, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to declare it a word, but there's this emotionality to the music that um, I feel like only you know, Nicholas Patel can bring in, in his own way. And I'm, I'm so excited to see that applied to, um, to Star Wars and into this story. And did you have a favorite of the three openings of the Andor theme over the three episodes? Oof. Um, I would say probably the third one. Ooh, I mine's the second. Yeah. Mine's the second. Yeah. Second would also be a close choice for me. I don't know. I'm just really shilling for that third episode. It's honestly That's valid. One of the one of the best episodes of of Star Wars TV, um, especially live action TV. So yeah. It's 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 so good. Thrilling. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Here's a thought I have. Um, were did you find yourself just a little bit like upsetio spaghettio that um the scene that they decided to show before the premiere of this show, both in IMAX and for the Andor preview on Disney Plus, was the climax of these three episodes. Because yeah, I I okay. So at the premiere, I was like, you know, I I I figured out a at a point like I was like, oh, we're we're leading up to the scene. We have to get to the scene before these three episodes are out. And I almost wish it had been saved. I don't know what other scene you could have pulled, to be honest with you, but I almost wish it had been safe because I was like, it's so thrilling and so exciting. And um, like, I think it could have been even more impactful if like none of us had seen it before. And yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. That would be the one thing I could change. Um, you're talking the scene between Luthen and Cassian where yeah, um, Cassi yeah there's... Cassian's like, do you have my money or do you not have my money? That's the question. Right. And he's um, like, Cassian and her. Kazanander. Uh, Thank you. Go so much better without, than mine. Without doing the right. Kazanander. You, you have to do it every time. No, I think I think a better scene that they could have showcased maybe would have been the bar scene in the beginning because it's like right up front. Um, mm. It was a little disappointing to see like, oh, that is actually a pretty critical point in this three episode arc. Um, and also to not even just show the conversation, but also like the action afterwards. Cause I think the right, action right. like doesn't do itself justice, like watching it on like a YouTube video. <laughs> you know, or because, like on your oh phone or whatever. The action, I saw that on an IMAX screen and I was like, oh my gosh, the way that that set moves is just absolutely brilliant. And like yeah. the way that it all falls apart is so great. And I mean, I'm glad I got to see it on the big screen. No complaints for me there, but I'm just surprised that that's the one they chose is I guess the point I'm getting at because it ultimately like is the the crux. It's the the very clear turning point of the first hour and a half of of this story uh so i just found it to be a little surprising um but I, I will say i do love what this show has been willing to give us ahead of time and like to say and like 
reveal because so many other shows have been really close to the vest beforehand. So right. I do admire it, but I'm also at the same time, I'm like, oh, hold it back because I like surprises. But then when I don't get the surprises and I don't get the early looks, I'm like, I want more. It's always a damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. <laughs> it depends right. on my and, mood. <laughs> and to be clear, like I totally do agree with you when it comes to um, this show not really uh, being all about the mystery box and and we know exactly where it ends. We know where the show is going to end and the story is going to end. He's like, yeah, it's going to be him walking Tony. a Tivic. And I'm like, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I really don't have any qualms with that. Um, Love that, uh, yeah. You know, and and so I find it to be really interesting that we're, we're getting so much information about it. And I'm certainly not complaining because it also provides um, more, it, it provides the actors with more space to talk about their characters and the stories that they're going on um without like the oh well i guess they're gonna have to wait and see you know anytime a character anytime anybody asks a question on a press tour um (laughs) they've actually been able to give some interesting answers about their characters like for instance in the adria arjona roundtable that you know um many of our friends and peers were on um somebody asked uh her a question about bix and her storyline and she said something along the lines of, you know, she's going to have to decide whether, you know, she sees this happen and and wants to go after somebody she cares about or, you know, stays a shopkeeper. And I went, oh, is she going to leave Ferrix? Is she going to leave Ferrix? Um, kind of hope so. If she goes after Cassie, and that'd be really interesting. Um, but but yeah, uh, I, I like that we're able to talk about this one more. Um, my my favorite quote from her so far is a uh, Hollywood reporter asking her, what's your favorite episode? And she goes, episode one. And they're like, you're good at this. And she's like, you'll just have to watch. Like, she is so media trained. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm ready for any question you throw my way. Um, right. And I do say, I will say too, like, I'm so intrigued to learn, like, what's her connection with Luthen? Like, how how did they get right. in cahoots with each other? Who's right? Luthen? Like, Who's Luthen? I have a, I have a tinfoil hat theory right here. Okay. Okay. Um, well, okay. Actually, my Bix theory is that she is actually already like part of the rebellion. Like oh. she is like in the early grassroots um, oh. with those two guys who own the shop. Yeah, they're good guys for sure. Because because when they when they rescue her at the end, they're like, "We got to go," and they take her and they just like run off with her, right? So like yeah, they yeah. were very adamant to find her. Um, so maybe those three are all together, like part of a very secret insurgent cell maybe not like rebellion like full-on rebellion because it might not be formed yet but i think they are part of like a a local cell of people who are um trying to connect with others like luthan um mm-hmm. luthan like while we're talking about him and that whole scene by the way the action again just so good. so good i love it i love i love it i almost feel like you know i'm always thinking like meta perspective i feel like all those things falling down from the ceiling a little bit of divine intervention for the galaxy to say, no, this is not your path. Um, we're going like to keep blocking you from getting it. <laughs> such a fragile atmosphere that it's, it's a house of cards in its, in its own sense. And I think that it also can uh, symbolize Cassian's life this far as just being, being built on a, you know, on a patch of sand as, a, as opposed to a patch of rock, you know, or whatever, you know, bringing up the Bible. Right. Um, but like, you know, um, his, his life is, is so flimsily built at this point that he does one thing and it really sets him on a path that he has to go through with. Cause there's no other options for him. Um, yeah. So Ca- Cassian tells him, you know, I-, I got this because you just walk in like you belong, which I wonder if we will see him get that device at some point. 
Uh, well, now you've made me wonder with, with the Empire scenes, he is not bearded. To be clear, no beard Cassian um, is in those Empire scenes. Is that the origin story of that thing? Is the question. I, I, think, we might, I think we might see it. Um, I'd be curious, but I love how he says, you know, they're so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would get inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. And then Luthen tells him um, their arrogance is remarkable. They don't even think about us. And then he also talks about this voice. I guess that rings in your ear. Um, he's like, you know, someday that voice will stop. It's the voice that tells you to, to stop, to go, to move, to die. Right. He's like, eventually that voice will stop. And I, I do, I do think of Cassian on the beaches of Scarif, right? That uh, I wonder, mm. is that voice finally silenced when, when the death star blasts, um, is that voice still with him? That voice that just keeps telling him to go, go, go. It really seems like Cassian at this point in his life and what we see his life on Ferrix looking like, everything is falling apart for him, right? Like right. not just the warehouse they're in, but like his social life is falling exactly. apart, right? Yeah. Um, people are saying like, look, dude, this is your last chance. You owe me money. You come around the junkyard too often and you hide House in these ships and you take, you take the stuff, right? You are on your last leg. I'm giving you one final chance. Hell, even Marva is like, how do people know you're from Canari? Right. How did that how happen? How many people have you right? told? Yeah. So everything, House of Cards is a great metaphor actually now that Thank you said you. it. Like, that that is what it is right like every single chance that he's had like all the chances are spent uh as generous would say right, right so right the other thing i was thinking about uh while we're kind of talking about this this end scene with uh luthan and cassian and this this derails a bit from cassian but i just i want to take a moment to mention um the old guy on the train um the yes, who, is, about- who is that who is the is actor? Somebody, or, yeah. I thought somebody, that was like somebody who played like a doctor on Doctor Who or something. I'm like, this guy looks like he's been in Doctor Who. I don't know. Who, you know what? Anyways. My mom, I showed my mom a picture of somebody and I can't remember who. And she was like, oh yeah, he's my favorite doctor. And I was like, this man has not been on Doctor Who, mom. <laughs> he looks so like I, he's been in if Doctor I had a Who. Nic- I I have, if I had a nickel that every time somebody in my life was like, yeah, I love that guy on Doctor Who, I'd have two nickels. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot but it's certainly weird <laughs> like this is in the last couple you, of days too this is funny um looks like no, he just I, walked straight out of the hoovers with his top hat and his suitcase i don't maybe know maybe i'm just clowning like maybe I, he has been on doctor who Would i wonder not if it's be surprised about the same if guy. he whisked away luthan and cassian in a freaking blue police box at the end of the episode you know i'm i have no sense of time i really wonder i really, I really wonder <laughs> if this was the same guy my mom was talking about was he on doctor who and i'm just actually I'm actually the clown. It's me. I feel like I have to get to the bottom of this. Guys, I will update you on whether this guy was a doctor who or not. But he gives doctor vibes, that's for sure. Um, but he's yeah. like literally like a traveling sales person who like you'd find on in a scene like that takes place, a quaint little scene that takes place on the London underground. And he's like, oh, lovely day we're having, you know, don't you think? <laughs> And that's like the total vibes he gives off. And that felt so un Star Wars to me in the best way. I was like, and I love that he's wearing yes. like, um, like a Bluetooth earpiece. Um, yeah, like, please. Oh my the, gosh. Vibes, the vibes of this guy were immaculate. Um, oh boy. I love it. I was him. really, I was really living for it. Um, got a little bit of a, like a curl, curly mustache too at the ends. Um, he was really living right. his best life. It's I hope, I hope he's like having a good, a good day. Yeah. Oh, also, while we're talking about, I mentioned the hat. Can we can we talk a second about the costumes designed by Michael Wilkinson throughout this? Yeah, sure. Because the costumes we're really going all over the place. Sorry to the people, um, but the costumes are so interesting because um, 
they're really uh, colorful. Do you agree? Are they colorful? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, especially Ferex, like the workers uniforms and we get that one shot of all the gloves that are on the wall. Um, I think Bix's clothing especially is pretty vibrant, like with the green and the, and the yellow. By the way, she's she's giving big Jen Erso energy with the scarf, I gotta say. Right. Um, something about Star Wars and scarves. I just I just love it so much. Uh also like the time grappler, he's wearing like kind of like an or dark dark orange or dark red um sort of a suit. The workers, they got like orange and yellow. Like there's a lot of there right. definitely is a lot of color happening. So like, like even like, in the junkyard, like there's color. And, and especially too, yeah. like B2 Emo with the yellow wheel and the red um droid body which i remember somebody in our screening was like why does he have a yellow wheel i was like what what are, what are we doing this right now we're watching this um that was so random but but when they when they said that too i was thinking of like uh i was thinking of c3po who's like the inverse of uh b2 emo right he's just he's got like a gold yeah. body in the red arm, the red arm. Whereas <laughs> b2 emo has a red body and the gold slash yellow wheel <laughs> so he's like right He's like the inverted uh, C-3PO. Um, okay, let's talk about yeah. B2 Emo. But before we do that, I would like to share that this actor, I believe, is Ron Cook. Um, and Ron Cook has... Or, um, am I right that this is Ron Cook? I think so. Yes, it is Ron um, Cook, yes. Okay. Uh, he has not been in Doctor Who, at least uh, on IMDb. So he's got the vibes. You and my mom are not wrong about that. But... You are he has been in The credit. Witcher. Uh, he has been in Les Mis, the, t- the mini TV series <laughs> in 2019. So we're, we're connecting all the dots. And it's all coming back around. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yep. But let's talk a little bit about like B2 Emo and, and Ferrix because we were talking outside the theater and we were like, hey guys, what does B2 Emo going to sound like? Place your bets. Zero dollars. And I was like, I think he's going to have a low kind of rumble because I was like, maybe he's got treads. And I was wrong. And I was so happy to be wrong. I've never been happier to be wrong than when like that little droid opened its non-existent mouth and started talking with his sweet baby stutter. And he has to use his power to lie. Oh, precious. Are you in love with B2 Emo? I, I am. Uh, B2 Emo, happy to say, is voiced by uh, Dave Chapman, who is a uh, puppeteer, actually. He's worked on Star Wars uh, in the past, including Rogue One. Um, and every episode of the sequel trilogy. So, um, he's the one that's bringing B2 to life. I love B2. I love his, um, stutter that he has, which I, I feel like is probably, um, you know, from the passage of time and, um, you know, his parts are wearing down a little bit. I love how, um, Cassian has this like devotion, um, not only to B2 emo, uh, where he is, you know, taking out the little piece of uh, metal from his plating. In the beginning, he's like, oh, well, here you go, little buddy. I'm taking this out for you, right? Right. It's like taking the, taking the, the needle out of the lion's paw sort of moment. Um, but Cassian also has like a devotion to um, Marva. Like when he's talking to B2 Emo at the end of uh, episode three, he's like, hey, he's like, are you there? Are you there? Listen, just tell Marva I'm sorry. Um, also remind her to keep the heat on. You know how cold she gets, right? And I'm just like, oh my God, like Cassian. And again, that the juxtaposition between like the... <laughs> the police guys being like cassian andor he's a armed and dangerous and then cassian's on the radio being like hey marva gets really cold like give her a blanket every now and then like what, right what who are you even chasing um right but I, I love the relationship between those three and how they can kind of poke fun at each other 
B2 Emo has been with Cassian since the beginning, since Cassian was brought to Ferrix by Marva, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I think there is a really tight kinship there. And I think Cassian has a huge respect for droids, and it's why he will grow such a fondness for K2SO eventually. Mm. Mm. What and it's funny about? that both of these droids talk, like, in basic. Um, I just I just saw this. Uh, who voices that computer voice in the cockpit chatting with Stellan Skarsgård? It's David W. Collins. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, the Fondor wow. droid. He's the droid yeah. voiceover. Uh, sorry, that just, Which that just Fondor? came across. Fondor. Wait, so are I, we like assuming F-O-N-D-R? that Luthen? Yeah. F-O-N-D-R. Yeah. Um, are we assuming that Luthen rails from Fondor potentially? Um, um, you know what Fondor, uh, you know who Fondor is the home of, by the way? Uh, give it to me. Iden Versio. Just saying. <gasps> Interesting. Interesting. Shut up. Interesting. I wonder if. Uh, is it really? I wonder if Luthen rail knows uh, Garrick Versio by chance. <gasps> Wait, oh, no, you can't say that to me. Yeah, Fondor's in Battlefront 2. Fun fact. Yeah, so, yeah. Again, but it like, is just what if, the captions going, say Fondor droid. What if Garrick droid. Up? What if Garrick I know. It's not out Sarah, of the realm been, of possibility. we've been trained. We've been trained. It's not the cameo show. I Knock know it out of you. I know it's not the cameo show, but like where, where is Jimmy Smith? We this say that not, now. This is not a question. <laughs> this is a demand. We we say that this week, and then next week when we get the Mom Mothma episode, we see Jimmy Smith's back on our screen. Like, I don't think oh he's gonna. I don't scr- think he's in it. I don't think he's in it. But I just somebody. I think somebody would have just like looked at me and been like, "LOL," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say too. Like I do think season two is going to be chock full of cameos. Um, but I'll be okay with it because by that point, the show will have earned it. And if I get more uh, Mods Mickelson in my life and Ben Mendelsohn, I will. I will not complain. I will say that. Right. Um, right. Not the cameo show, but where is Jimmy Smith's? That's okay. That's the training I need to go through. <laughs> what I ask myself in every Star Wars project, um, we are getting him in Tales of the Jedi. So technically we're two for three this year on Star Wars projects. Um, well, I guess you two know, for You know, do you four. think Ian McDermott is, is going to show up in the show? Maybe. He's already appeared once. Him. Yeah, I know. I keep paying him. Do you think, I said this on my one of my tweets, I do think we will see Ian McDermott um, in the Senate, I think they're going to show us like sort of the rebel version of him where he is mm. the healthier version that he presents to the public versus like what he actually looks like. Because, you know, in Rebels, when he talks to Ezra, he's like actually like looks like Palpatine of the prequels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we'll see. And sort of like the imperial propaganda of the Senate and like, hey, I'm your leader. Things are going great. I definitely don't have a raisin face. Uh, that's shriveled up from my own lightning. Uh, Unlimited power. Um, I think that's the Palpatine we will see, which would be kind of cool if we see like a de-aged Ian McDermott, like in prequel era. Like I don't know, it'd be kind of that'd be kind of fascinating. I'm pro seeing Ian McDermott on screen. He's genuinely just a great actor. And I yeah, love him. yeah. He's delightful. I, I, I hooted and hollered when he showed up in Obi Wan, so I'm, I'm ready. Was, bring on, bring it on. Like, yes, I love it. Like. <laughs> it's just one of those things it's like Tamar yeah. Morrison keep paying him Jimmy Smith keep paying him <laughs> Ian McDermott keep paying him that's fine with me please. they can show up in everything please, please. Um, they get the pass to show up in everything um, okay let's talk about Ferrix just a little bit because I know when we originally saw the scrapper kind of planet the, the junk we were like Bracca it's Bracca it's a Bracca planet and it's not it's a whole new planet that's even more exciting and dynamic and interesting than Bracca because you know we've only ever seen the the big scrapyard side of Bracca really in like the train um that they kind of take to and to and fro if i remember correctly from Jedi Fallen Order 
But here, we're not only getting the scrapyard. We're not only getting um, the town. We're getting the scrapyard and the town that's connected to it or the city that's connected to it. And there's clearly like farmland and, um, you know, there's, there's public transportation and rules in place and a very clear set and built society. It's a, it's a blue collar place It is a functioning place where there is community and space. And, um, it is really refreshing to see. Do you, I, yeah. did you get, what was your vibe when like we kind of started to explore Ferrex? Yeah. I mean, I, I've said it before, like the people of Ferrex really give it character, but the locations, especially like the moment I saw Bix's pod racing shop, I was like, yes, we finally, it's our first time seeing pod racers on screen in such a long time. Like I know we, I think we might've seen some in like Pelimato's shop potentially or somewhere in the Mandalorian. But like, we really get to see her like working on pod racing parts. And I was very appreciative of that. Mm. But again, like getting to meet her and um, Scout the Trooper um, tweeted out like, Andor is great because we just get to see people talking for the sake of talking. And I think that was really on display during the scene with Cassian and Bix in that shop because they were just kind of poking jabs at each other. They were talking about, he's like, you know contact your friend blah 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 and she's sort of making fun of him throughout the interaction of like listen dude like he gets really close to her and then he gets really close to her there's a little bit of tension oh and then you know he walks out of the shop and he's like you know if you want less complicated women you better talk to other people dude (laughs) you know like this is a whole range of emotions and uh, well, she, well, uh complexities yeah. you know Again, she's this awesome is why tim, i love her. tim is a little shit like bix is confident bix knows what's up she is she knows what she wants she knows her position in life she knows what she can do and cassian's like yeah that's bix and tim is over here like that makes me insecure i can yeah. that makes me insecure i want to i want to you know have all of her attentions like tim you little shit. I turned to you during the screening and I went, he is such a Ruckland. Like, Ruckland from Star Wars Resistance is literally Timon. Like, Ruckland's like, oh, I'm going to rat out the Colossus people. Like, I'm going to turn the joy in the Force Star. You know, Tim. Uh. You know, so um, such a Ruckland. I would not be surprised a- if Ruckland is a descendant of Timon. And I know Timon died. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say they're not related at all. There are just that many jerks in the world true yeah the recklins don't fall hard far truth. from the tree as they say yeah. hard truth yeah uh i'm just mad at him i'm just mad at him but also the bix cast the intention they have made out before okay they have gotten okay, yeah close to each other they have been uh, can 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 we talk about sex can we i mean i think the show does i mean so I mean, so uh uh, first on-screen uh acknowledgement of uh, uh sex in star wars uh it happened happened um, and it's happened a lot, quite frequently in the books, I will say. <laughs> can I, can I, can I make a really silly observation here? Um, yes. So there's a point, right, when, when Bix gets to Tim's house and, and she like takes off her jacket or her shirt or whatever. And I just, I would just like to clearly say that woman is wearing a bra. Bras exist in space. That is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. I've worn enough bras in my life to know what a bra looks like on a person okay <laughs> and i could see the little you know the part where it connects from like the cup to the strap there's there's a there's a particular way that that generally looks and i saw that okay she was wearing a bra okay bras exist in space george lucas you're wrong 
much respect to George Lucas, but he's wrong. <laughs> Context here told Carrie Fisher that there are no bras in space. Uh, there are bras in, in space. Yeah. Send tweet. Um, yes. But yes, yeah. to, to go a little bit further from there, we like get this point where he's like sitting, sitting on the, sitting on the chair, like weirdly looking at her. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like while she's sleeping, like, dude, like go, go do something with your life. Tim, he sucks. Okay. He sucks. He sucks. He sucks. Okay. Um, and, and like she gets up and there are not pants on this lady. There are not pants no. on this lady. How's our man? Her- Bix, shake hand emoji, no pants on. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i just i shocked amazed yeah was like oh my gosh this is this is not star wars for the 10 year old in your life you know like (laughs) no 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 um i will say i was uh, i was starting to get into a cold sweat um when Uh bix took off her jacket i was like whoa like and she was like how you feel and he's like better now i was like what am i watching i'm like is did i did i come to the wrong theater like i don't know what's going on here um, well, that's what i felt in the first scene when we walk into a freaking brothel i know i was like what and is there was this? like a bulio there's like a bulio like a bulio stripper like a bulio hologram stripper that's pretty wow actually win the war win the war win the war God, I think know, my impression give wins. Give it to Rise of Sky. Give it to Rise of Skywalker. Just some great, Wind great banger quotes. I know we've I know we've said it before. It's not our favorite movie, but it's got some it's banger got some quotes. Bangers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Holy um, moly, I, I, love I have spent the past entire time we've been talking really just wanting to mention the glove wall in Ferrix. Mm, and yeah. and how this glove wall is like such a centerpiece of like their work and social space um and how you know at the end of the day they hang up all their gloves uh in a very specific way and and everybody knows which ones are theirs and they're so colorful and each one of them is different you know different paddings different colors fabrics and i just love that and i just really wanted to take a moment tonight to say that thank you for listening everybody that's it that's all i have to say about it (laughs) yeah there's just so much character to ferrix and I, i feel like if they are um, giving this place character i have a feeling like every location that we're going to see throughout the show will follow that trend and i'm coruscant. so excited to coruscant. go to coruscant, coruscant. like coruscant. Coruscant. we've already seen coruscant. so many scenes like we've seen mothma on her couch mothma in her like cool 50s looking car like uh mothma in a senate like, chamber mothma with luthan uh yeah uh, that one in thing where like, the elevator museum. goes to the side and then it goes down yeah there's so much character like Tony Gilroy is like all in on the world building. And again, like you said it earlier, like things that would maybe appear mundane to the star Wars fan parentheses derogatory, <laughs> like are actually so critical and so important and so juicy and fun and awesome that I'd love building out this world during this time period. And I hope we continue to get more of that because it is great. Like it is a good time to be a star Wars fan. I am drinking the Andor Kool-Aid. I am quite literally up to the throat in Andor Kool-Aid because I'm drinking so much of it. I'm about to throw up Andor Kool-Aid. I hope you don't, but I'm really just here to say the time grappler. Ah! I'm obsessed with him. I really Maybe am. They should do the Rogue One special edition where um, Tony Gilroy edits in the time grappler on the beach, just hitting people with his hammers. That's not how the time grappler works. He's there to tell the time. He's there to tell the time, which he does in a very specific musical pattern using his instrument um and it gives you different tones at different times of day so you know what time it is that is the 
juiciest, most interesting thing I feel like I, I've ex- ever experienced in Star Wars. And I, I, I live at home. I sat my mom. I was like, mom, watch this, watch this. She's like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, mom, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so I'm really, <laughs> I'm really just obsessed with the time grappler. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I, um, yeah, yeah. I'm very, very Oh, can I just share? I'm we're kind of all over the place now. I'm really sorry. Can I just share a um, B two line that just had me hooting, hollering, laughing? Yeah, please. Marva says you went out ruining your health and reputation with friends of low character. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not like the mom, the momest mom thing to say to like a sibling, you know, and, and I'm gonna count like B two emo is truly part of the family, but like, 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 oh. You know, my parents would be like, oh, Adam again, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will add um, one that happens a little earlier, but it's when they're talking about how how do people know you're from Canary and, you know, they're making the oh list God, of people yes. who would know. And Cassian, you know, he's like, oh, the family members like she's like, that doesn't count. And he's like, well, if we're making a list or making a list. And she says, well, it's all of your women that I'm worried about. And Cassian goes, oh, come on, please stop, stop. And Marva says, Femi, Carla, Sandrine, there are some names I don't even know. And then and then B2 in the corner going, Bix. And then Andor Cassian's like, keep Bix's name out of this. She's not involved. Like, I just like that pretty much confirms that like Cassian's a ladies man, which understandably, like, have you seen Diego Luna? But I love the fact that he has like, you know, he's been around town having he's some fun. Living a normal life, you know? Yeah. Um, what? Oh, 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 one thing we have not mentioned and I'm so surprised. Bantha toy? Spent- Bantha toy? Bantha toy. Well, first cannon? of all, Bantha toy cannon. He's just like, he's just like me, Cassian. He's just like me with the Bantha toy. <laughs> that I, that I got for you. The one that, the one that, this, the, do you have other bantha toys yeah uh i have like the funko pop with uh, oh. mando on bantha yeah nice nice nice, nice. pro bantha yeah. pro bantha here um yes. yes bantha toy excellent brilliant beautiful great uh, no complaints also um that moment when the big chunky clunky premox ship or premore ship comes out oh, of hyperspace yeah. and just like boom <laughs> Can uh, you, do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about that? Because yeah. like, you had a capital R reaction to that. I felt aroused by it. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I have not it's seen... Too late. We got to stop the podcasting. He's aroused by the hyperspace. <laughs> no, like the way that like, you know, you get the shot of space, you're like, oh, that's pretty nice. And then whoa, and then like it just caught like the right. biggest, ugliest looking ship you've ever seen in your life <laughs> jumps out of hyperspace at you. On, and we're sitting in the third row. I literally grabbed like both of my armrests. I was like, holy shit. And I looked over at Chase, um, who's from Pink Milk, and we were both like, we looked at each other and we were like, oh my God. Like we both mouthed <laughs> holy shit to each other because we were we were really taken aback by the whole situation. It, um, it was incredible. And yeah, then I was like, yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's a launcher ship. All those ships are gonna pop out of there. And they did. And I was like, Hee-hee. love it, love it. Um, yeah, that, that ship, uh, we we do love a good chonky big ship like the Colossus. It's so um, ugly. I, know, I love I it. I want to know the name of the ship too. To be clear, the Colossus is not ugly. The Colossus is a beauty. No. Nothing can top her. But like this ship is ugly as hell, and I think it's great. Love Perfect. it. Perfect. No so notes. <laughs> it's my glup shitto of ships. Glup shitto shits. Yeah. It's my glup shippo. <laughs> 
Oh, no. I feel like, you know, oh, no. like we've, we've really made people, a mess here. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> asks, somebody asks, what's your favorite ship? And people either respond like the Millennium Falcon or like Raylo. It's like, what's your club shippo? <laughs> You're like the one ship from Andor. And somebody else is like Ray Rose, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like i love that i love that oh, god. oh my gosh um, okay so before we start to wrap up here can we talk about like canary and the flashbacks and all of that yeah, for a half yeah. second how do we um, miss all of that in this whole conversation yeah i think that might be a really great way to to round out our conversation because it's it's ultimately where episode three ends is is cassian leaving canary um Canary is so fascinating. I, I love the choice to not show us what the kids on Canary are saying. And mm. I wonder how that will play into the future storytelling. Like, are we going to find out what Cassian said to his little sister before he left? Um, I, I'm wondering, like, what happened to the parents, like where they've been to and like when the ship crashes. Notably, the scientists on the ship have separatist logo patches on their vests. And B2 says there's a republic frigate on the way so we know that this is during the clone wars which is really fascinating um and then also like cassian seeing his reflection for the first time in the mirror like and and, like the reflective glass on board the ship you know and he starts hitting like what do you think was like why did he have that reaction like why did he start hitting the walls and like getting so upset and like what, what what was it about his his reflection that kind of sparked that for him I think it's a few things. Um, and I you know I am completely speculating here, of course. I think his world has been shattered. He sees this mine. I don't know if he's seen the mine before, right? So that's number one. He sees the mine and then he sees these intruders who, you know, are dead, right? Uh, he's seen the death of somebody who is clearly their leader or somebody that they really respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's seeing his reflection. Um, and they live seemingly in the forests uh, or the woods and, and live a very outdoors centered, perhaps nomadic sort of lifestyle um, who are stewards of that place. And, and uh, I think his world is just completely shattered because there's the destruction of his world, right? We know that there was an accident and, and the question is, did this accident happen before or after the ship crashed? Part of me thinks beforehand. Um, we've seen somebody who, led the charge in this mission get killed and then he's seeing his own reflection something he's probably not used to something that probably is jarring for him or 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 or, yeah is jarring for him because the interior if you you just think about that one shot where we're getting him like climbing up and in and just like how long and sterile and and polished it all is right and that's not Mm -hmm. the world that he is used to he's used to the woods uh nature um color uh you know, vibrancy. And this is so not all of that. And I think that, you know, can be very jarring, but I also think it could be him taking out rage for whatever accident occurred. And that probably affected his, his people, his loved ones. Um, you know, like they're young people, where are their parents dead? Probably. Yeah. I I have no idea. I would imagine. Um, yeah, it's, it feels like, um, it's such a it's such a tragic situation because his way of life there gets disrupted, and part of me wonders: Has he truly had as much of a sense of community as he did on Canary? Um, why is he going after his sister? Like, why is now the time that he wants to find his sister? I think that's a question that will start to unravel throughout the series. Um, what does his sister mean to him? Like, will we actually see his sister grown up? Um, yeah, is that's she? Something I wonder. Is she 
dead or is she alive? And will we meet her? Those are the questions. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Cassian and or the series is going to be, I think, a journey for Cassian to uh, come to terms with things from his past while also mm-hmm. finding a new community within the rebellion. Um, a community of people who are willing to protect what's theirs or what belongs to them, right? Because if we know that the um, uh, uh, Cassian Casa and his his people are natives on that planet, and that planet was taken by the Imperials in a mining disaster, and it was colonized by them uh, by the Imperials. Um, likewise, the Imperials are taking over democracy, and they're they're destroying even more planets like Canari, right? And so the rebellion is an effort to take back the galaxy and put it back into the hands of the people it belongs to versus like a, an aristocrat and a, and a dictator. Um, so like, does Cassian find that same sense of purpose that he felt on Canari within the rebellion, right? Um, and, and does finding his sister or finding out the, the cause of her death or what she is up to if she's survived does that bring him some sort of closure in order for him to let the past go and to move forward mm. and to find more purpose? So there's a lot of moving parts with him and I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Um, and I bet you we're going to find out. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next week is episode four. Um, cannot moth, wait. Moth, I've heard really moth, great moth, things. Moth, moth, uh, moth, moth. Also, I mean, I, I just, I just feel like this is, this is the one that's been hyped up since like May. When like Tony Gilroy was yeah. like, episode 104 is really going to change how you think about Mothma. And I'm like, great, great. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I'm wondering, are we going to get Mothma flashbacks? Like, is it going to be like a, I don't know. It could be like a Young whole Mothma. Mothma, Life of Mothma episode. Who knows? Um, episode four is directed by uh, Susanna White, um, which is interesting. And the episode will be written by Dan Gilroy uh, as opposed to Tony. Okay. So Dan's going to write the next three episodes. Um, and Susanna will direct next three episodes. I like how the series has a very clear director writer duo for like these like story arcs. Um, very fascinating. Toby Haynes will be back for episodes eight through 10. Um, so I'm excited. And then Gilroy, Tony Gilroy will, will write the, uh, he'll be back for episodes 11 and 12 to wrap up the season. So. Okay. Um, I'll look ahead. I need to warn the people <laughs> that I'm going to be thirsting on next week's episode. Yeah. that's it that's all i need to say is like i don't know <laughs> if i've ever thirsted harder on the podcast than when i did when that trailer dropped and i just really just had a whole rant thirst about my mothma so just like be prepared for that again if you choose to tune in again on intercander please do um but like it's just bound to happen i know myself and uh if this is as mothma centric as we all hope yikes for sarah folks yikes for sarah so yeah Sorry in advance or you're welcome in advance. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. So, um, really, I'm really excited because I think this is going to give us a lot of like really interesting politics and you know, I love that stuff. So, yeah, I I cannot wait. I really cannot wait for next week. Um, we've been talking here for about an hour and 40 some minutes. Um, so much to cover. I feel like there's still so much that we missed too. Um, yeah. So sorry if we did miss anything that you were hoping we talked about folks, but um, I'm sure as the season goes on, we might reflect on some of the things that we did that we did forget to mention. So um, with that being said, Sarah, did you have any final thoughts on uh, episodes one through three of Andor? Star Wars. Great. Love Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars, a great good. time. Yeah. Feel I love good. it when Star Wars. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as Star a Wars reminder, good. 
if you haven't already listened to our episode about the uh, premiere of Andor in Hollywood, definitely go check that out. It was tons of fun. We had a great time. Um, go check out some of our photos on like our Twitter and Instagram too. Um, such a good time. And I can't believe we're here now a week later. Um, watching it on our TV screens as many times as we'd like. Uh, it's great. Andor's out in the world. People are enjoying it. There seems to be like pretty unanimous praise for it. Um, not something we often come by in Star Wars fandom. And so it's nice to just kind of have like a unanimous positivity around the show for once. Uh, or at least in our circles, you know, like yeah, there's, there's yeah. some good vibes. So that's, but nice. I feel like even critically, um, I saw something that like it has the highest, I mean, I take rotten tomatoes with a grain of salt. I think it's a terrible system, but it has the highest rotten tomato score since the, um, premiere of, uh, of Mandalorian for any star Wars TV show, which I found interesting, uh, I believe. So, um, yeah, I think critically acclaimed. I think even outside of circles, people are really, really uh, connecting with it on a deep level. So, um, so excited. We got nine more weeks of this. It's going to be a great time. Yes, so excited. And expect some fun guests on in the future. We're looking forward to chatting with some of our friends around the community as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, uh, follow the podcast on all of our socials, as well as Sarah and I. Uh, in those same places to catch all the latest updates, what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're, what we're talking about. Um, you Who can also follow the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> going to be throughout the season. Uh, the thirst never ends uh, here in no. star Wars land. No, we also encourage you to follow us on any uh, podcast feed that you listen to. So you get all of our episodes automatically right into your, your feed. And uh, if you'd be so kind, leave a five-star written review about today's episode. If you could helps other folks find the show and join the Andor Candor. We also have a Patreon where tiers start at just a dollar and we are eternally grateful as always to all of our patrons who help make the show happen. So thanks to Amy, Brian with an I, Brian with the Y, Cheryl, Clay, Danny, Davis, Dylan, Donnie, Huang, Jen, Knights of Ren, Leanne, Levi, uh, Lucy, Lindsay, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Skytalker, Steven, Travis, Tom, and T. Thank you all very much. And thank you all to everyone who listened through this episode. We appreciate you. Thanks for joining us for Andor yeah. Candor. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we hope you tune in for these next nine weeks. Enjoy the journey with us. Thank you again for your support. And until next time, may the force be with you always.